There's an old African proverb that says, when elephants fight, the grass gets trampled. When elephants fight, the grass gets trampled. Well, <clears throat> that's sort of obvious at first. You think about that. Well, yeah, probably that happens. But the whole point of that is when elephants fight, everything around them is affected by that. And that's true for not just elephants, isn't it? When people are fighting, not working together, working against each other, everyone loses. We see that in a family. When there's conflict going on in that family, everyone around them is affected by that. When there's conflict at work, it's not just the two or three people in that conflict, but everyone around them is affected by that. It's true in marriages, it's true in families, the workplace, circle of friends, us team, where people on the team are fighting with each other, the whole team is affected. It's even true for churches and Christians. Which brings us to our next one another that we want to look at today, that we agree with one another. There are several places we'll look at it, but it's most clearly stated in 1 Corinthians 1.10. Paul says there to the Christians in Corinth, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Agree with one another, perfectly united in mind and thought. It's interesting, the book that this passage occurs in. Because Corinth was probably, to the knowledge we have today, Corinth was probably the most divided church of any mentioned in the New Testament. The gospel had been very effective in Corinth, and because of that, a wide variety of the people in the city had been won to Christ. But part of what that created was you had a church that was made up of not just Jews and Gentiles, you had a church where you had slaves in the church and the slave owners were sitting in the other section. You had wealthy and you had poor. You had all kinds of people. And then add to that, you had a very strong controversy about the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts, speaking in tongues, all kinds of things going on and causing conflict there. And Paul writes this passage in the beginning of Corinth because the other controversy was who baptized you? Well, Paul baptized me. Oh, Apollos baptized you? Oh, too bad. Sorry you missed out on Paul. And, and, and so there was a whole division in the church over which human leader baptized you and who you, quote, follow. And out of all of that division to that very church, Paul writes and challenges them that it is so important that you agree with one another. And that despite your differences, in fact, you need to be united as a church. And the truth is, getting along and working together is critical for any relationship, isn't it? 
whatever we talk about, work, home, family, church, sports team, you name it. But I think it's fair to say, is it even possible to have that kind of unity that Paul writes about? Can any group of people really be one? Because the truth is, we all are like Corinth in different ways. We all bring differences to the table. And it's not just differences of how we were raised, differences of our personality, it's differences of our experiences. Whether we're talking about a family, we're talking about a workplace, we're talking about a neighborhood, we're talking about a church. Our differences are legion. And that's part of what makes unity so hard. We not only have different personalities and preferences, we have different opinions and we have different viewpoints. Ford is clearly a better pickup than Chevy. We won't get into ball teams. We have all kinds of opinions. And the reality is unity doesn't just magically happen. Because of all of those differences that we have between us, unity doesn't just spring up. It's something that we have to want and work on. It's a choice we have to make and it's effort that we have to put into it and it's attitudes that we have to have if we're going to have that kind of unity that we need. And that's why unity is a theme in the Bible. It's something that is emphasized again and again and again. Jesus himself says, we need unity. I want to look at two reasons that unity is so important. One from Jesus himself. Over in John 17... Jesus offers what is called his high priestly prayer. It's his last prayer. It's given on Thursday night before he's arrested and he'll be dead tomorrow on the cross. He knows that. I don't think we can overemphasize John 17 in his prayer. If you know you're going to die tomorrow, if you know you're going to be gone in two hours and never have a talk with these guys again, don't you think you'd pretty much focus and pray about what's most important? I think Jesus did. And in the midst of this prayer in John 17, what does he take the time to talk about? How important it is that we agree with each other, that we be united. I want to read verses 20 through 23. My prayer is not for them alone, these 12 guys in the room. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, all of us one, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that, so that they may be one as we are one, I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. 
One of the reasons Jesus emphasizes unity is because he realizes the people around us coming to faith in Jesus depends on our unity. Jesus says there in this prayer, Father and Jesus, we're one. We got that covered. We are one. We're always one. We're always together. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. But the challenge now becomes we're going to add all these other disciples, all these other followers of me. And it's not just these guys in this room, but they're going to go out and preach, and he's seen the book of Acts happen. And as a result of their preaching, people around the world are come, going to come to faith. But they need to be one also. So that the people hearing the message about Jesus will believe. You see, if we are not one, the world sees that too. And when the world sees that, then they're going to say, well, they're not one. How do I believe this message that there's a God who's one? How do I believe this message of this life-changing power that changes us and makes us one when they're not one? And Jesus knows that if Jesus' followers are not one, Satan will use that to discredit the whole message about a gospel that transforms us and changes us and makes us into one. People need to see that that really can happen, and they need to see it in the local church. But there's another, there's another reason that unity is so important, and that is how much we gain when we are united and how much we lose when we are not united. Conflict between Christians is one of Satan's greatest tools. Because if he can get Christians fighting, it destroys Christians and it destroys the Christians around them. And the ripples of damage go out from a conflict between two people or six people and affects hundreds of people. And when we are not united, when we are against each other, then all of the things we have been talking about this summer, all of those one another's, we no longer experience them. We no longer care for one another. We no longer are devoted to one another. We are no longer encouraging one another, forgiving one another. All of those things get lost in the midst of that conflict. But when we are united, when the community comes together, and we stand together no matter what, then all of those things that are offered and taught and promised to us, we start to experience them. We do sense that people around us are committed to us. We encourage one another. We forgive one another. We help one another. We serve one another because we are together. There is so much riding on our effort to be one. And that's why Paul stresses it so much in 1 Corinthians and through all of his letters. That sense of you need to be united. You need to agree with each other. But we have all those differences. Not only our differences in background and personality, but our differences in opinions and experiences and 
what we think is right and all of that. So how do we do that? How do we actually experience this unity, live in unity? Well, the first thing I would say is we can only do it with God's help. We can't do it on our own. I think if we try to come together as a bunch of humans and say, we're going to just work real hard and we're going to put this all together, we'll always fail. I want to go back and notice a couple things that Jesus says in that John 17 prayer. He says, I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one. I think that's a definite direct reference to the Holy Spirit. And that glory which Jesus we saw come down upon him, his power, that is given to us. So that the spirit that is in us, we have no doubt what that spirit is going to be working on. And what that spirit is going to want to help find. And that's unity. Helping us work through the tough work of finding agreement and working as one in unity. He ends those, says, I and them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Notice it's not so that they may create complete unity. There is a sense, is someone from the outside, they may be brought to complete unity. God's going to have to help and he knows that. He knows that in a church of Corinth. When he says, you know what, I'm going to show her the power of gospel and I'm going to have slaves here and their masters here. I'm going to have wealthy here and poor here. I'm going to have Jew here and Roman here and Greek here. And I'm going to show the world how all of this group can come together, care for each other, love one another, work together, and see a unity that the world only dreams about. That's what God wants to do. There can be all kinds of marches and things in the world. People say, oh, we're all one. But we see how quickly that fractures. But with God's help, he wants the church to be that model that says it can be people as one because of the power of the gospel. And so it is only with God's help that we can pull this off. This thing of being one and being united despite our differences. But even with that, we have to choose unity. And I think that's part of why it is emphasized so much in the New Testament. We have to make a conscious choice that says unity is our assignment. It is our duty. It must be our goal. And so we have to work at that. I'd like to read Ephesians 4, the first three verses. As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Christ has died for you to give you grace and salvation. That is your call. Now you live a life worthy of that sacrifice of Christ. How? Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Unity is not automatic. And it's not just something God is going to do magically for us. 
God will help us. God will lead us in that direction. He will show us how. But it is something that we have to work at. And as Paul rightfully says, it begins on the inside. It begins with certain attitudes that we have. Attitudes of humility. Attitudes of patience. Attitudes of forgiveness. Those attitudes are essential. Because without those attitudes, those outer actions will never happen. Those actions which produce unity. And the truth is, it takes work on our part. We live in an age, a culture right now, that is very much prone to say, my problems are their fault. My problems aren't my fault, it's their fault. And we look for who we can blame for our problems. But you see, part of unity is based on listening and forgiving and a humility that says, maybe I am part of this. Maybe some of my views are wrong. Maybe there's some things in my part that I need to change. It is those inner attitudes that begin opening the door to understand each other, to forgive each other, to find middle ground. Isn't it interesting that compromise has become almost a dirty word? And we wonder why our government can't work. Why listening to the other side is viewed as almost stupid. And we wonder why people can't get along and why there is so much anger today. There are some things we need to have inside us that set us up for building and creating this unity that we need to have. God wants that. He knows it's so important both for the world to believe what we want to tell them about Jesus and the life-changing good news, but also so that we can experience all he wants us to experience in the church, in the commitment, the relationships, the connections we have as Christians. Because he wants us so much to find this unity God has placed some things that are like magnets that draw us together. Our differences cause us to sort of repel. But God has placed in the church and given to us things that draw us together and fight against our natural human tendencies to be repelled from one another. They're found in Ephesians 4. Right after that first passage we read. I just wanted to put it on the screen. Paul reminds them there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. All of those things are the things pulling us together to counteract all the human forces tearing us apart. At the foot of the cross, we all stand shoulder to shoulder. We all have that same spirit in us. We have the same Father we are listening to, the same Jesus who is our Lord and Savior, the same Bible that we read out of, 
all of those things pull us together because God wants to help us be one. To live in complete unity. Not because we're not different, but because we are committed to that unity of being one in God's family. And it's out of that Ephesians passage that we've delayed communion. One of those things which reminds us it is one sacrifice that we all come to partake of. Let's pray. Father, it is so important that we are together. When we are not together, Satan is affecting us and destroying us. But it's not easy. We are all weak and we all have differences and we all have opinions and there's so much pulling us apart. I thank you that your good news has the power to make us one. And all of these things you have given us that are so important to us all pull us together to be one. May you impress upon each of our hearts how important it is that we live in agreement with one another. In your son's name.